Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, John Froud will join us to discuss Plagued. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. the Grok's Science Show. Well, pandemics and plagues, they shape our past and our future, and none more so than the one we're experiencing right now. What can we learn from the history of past plagues? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. John Froud. Dr. Froud is a practicing physician and infectious disease specialist who graduated from Guy's Hospital, London, and has worked in several countries, including the UK, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, and the United States, where he worked at the Rockefeller University and New York University. He is also a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians. He has penned the new book, Plagued, Pandemics from the Black Death to COVID-19 and Beyond. Dr. Froud, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it is certainly our pleasure, certainly a fascinating book you've put together here, certainly a very timely book, uh, given the situation we're all coming out of. I'm curious why you decided to put this book together. Well, you know, I've always been interested in, in uh, microbes and the practice of infectious diseases. But as time went by, I came to understand that pandemics or plagues are not sort of random accidents like asteroids hitting the earth or hurricanes or uh, earthquakes that they're a completely different kind of event altogether. Secondly, Louis Pasteur showed that bacteria caused infections in about 1850. That's not very long ago. And when the Spanish flu came along in 1918, nobody realized it was due to a virus. Viruses had been discovered, it's true, by brilliant scientists in the late 19th century showing that tobacco mosaic disease was caused by a virus by filtering out bacteria and then still being able to infect the plants. But by, two, by 1918, nobody really knew what a virus was. Nobody accepted that the Spanish flu was called by viruses. In fact, so it was 1920 before it was definitely established that virus had caused this global pandemic that killed at least 50 million people. And this, I think, was striking information. But when you think about it, okay, 1930, I said 20 earlier, but it was really 1930, that there are still alive people on Earth from that time. Uh, not many, but a few. So all of this has happened. All our knowledge has happened quite recently. And our knowledge of viruses and bacteria and nucleic acids and biochemistry and our ability to do something about it with vaccines and antibiotics, our knowledge has increased at a fantastic rate over that 100 years. We're living in a sort of, we don't know it, but we're living in the middle of this renaissance of scientific thought, which has been translated to practical ability. To think that we, we've made a vaccine in one year to COVID-19 
is incredible. So that's the, that's not the only point. There are many other things. So what are these? What are these little devils? Collection of molecules, viruses, and bacteria. What are they doing here? Well, that in itself is extremely fascinating. Bacteria are, are, are very complex. They're too complex to just have arisen. They had to evolve from simpler molecules. And probably the simplest replicating molecule is RNA. And many scientists accept that the first replicating molecules on Earth were RNA, which catalyzed its own replication, sort of weakly. And so it was RNA that came first, then they came DNA, then they came structured animals that were bacteria, and they were the first forms of replicating life on Earth from which we have evolved. So they are our antecedents. Bacteria are our antecedents. Now, th th this is all a bit of a sort of kind of shallow once over, and it's a lot more complex than that. But if you take the eight categories of virus, three of them are RNA viruses and five species, species of virus, three species are RNA and five are DNA. So that these RNA viruses that still exist in the earth from 2.5 billion years ago were probably fossils of the first replicating molecules on earth. It was rather interesting, particularly when you think that some of the most virulent viral pandemics that we have dealt with are caused by RNA viruses, including coronavirus SARS-2, COVID-19. But th there are two more points that I really have to make. And one is that our history, Homo sapiens, the history of Homo sapiens, has been driven by plagues uh, to an enormous extent, to an extent that we have not always been ready to recognize. To take the Spanish flu again, uh, the great historian uh, Alfred Crosby wrote a book called The Forgotten Pandemic. When you read histories of the First World War, they didn't mention Spanish flu, or they referred to one in one sentence. And so history needs to be properly padded out with, an, with accounts of the pandemics of the past. And the last point I want to make is that it's microbes that have changed our very genome. There's the German virologist Muller, who's written a book, a marvelous book called Viruses, More Friends Than Foes, who points out that there are 10 to the 32nd numbers of viruses on planet Earth. Now, I, you know, what does that mean? 10 to the 32nd, I can't conceive of such a number. I, I don't know what the hell it means when you think that 10 to the 25th is the number of stars there are in the universe. So, so there's that many more viruses. We walk around in clouds of viruses. So I guess the short answer would be to say that I wanted to clarify our conceptualization of plagues that we have lived through in the past. And is this important for the future? Well, of course it is, because of course we're going to have more plagues. It's inevitable. And the more we can learn about the past, the better we'll be able to deal with those that are going to come along.
The book is certainly wide-ranging. You cover the broad history of plagues. As you mentioned, our understanding of the nature of the plague for how we've dealt with plagues has changed. Do you think now that we have a greater understanding of disease mechanisms that we are in a position to learn more from uh, reinvestigation of past plagues? I hope so. But uh, paradoxically, we have observed that people's response to plagues can be bizarre and have little change from the days when we didn't know anything about these microorganisms. Let's just look at SARS and, and consider what is absolutely unique about this pandemic. Number one, it spread around the earth in four months to every country in the world with the exception of a few Pacific islands. Now that's not a feature of the virus, that's a feature of the airplane. So viruses don't walk, viruses aren't moving, they depend on us. To an we are the other force. We are the force of the pandemic. And we interfere with the world or we travel around the world in certain ways that allow the pandemics to spread. I'm not quite sure if we understand that. I'm not quite sure if we understand how powerful our own role is in engendering pandemics. So, so we, need to learn, we need to learn a little bit about that. The other remarkable things about this pandemic is that it started in Wuhan, China in December 2019, or some might argue November, but by the first week of January, the virus had been identified and sequenced and published on the internet. Nothing like that has ever happened before. Nothing so swift has ever happened before. This is a testimony to the genius of Homo sapiens, but at the same time, you would think that at a time of crisis when a global pandemic is infecting the whole world, that politicians would put aside petty politics and come together for the good of mankind. Well, that, has that happened? I'm not convinced. So this is the other end of the spectrum of Homo sapiens' abilities. We're sort of in this era of remarkable medical advances. We haven't dealt with as many plagues of late and that we're just not accustomed to it anymore. And these types of things you put in the back of your mind if they're not in the forefront. There's, there's definitely some uh, truth in that argument. But plagues have come along at about three major ones every hundred years. So that in the 20th century, we had Spanish flu, AIDS, and can you guess the third? major pandemic, people will be surprised. It was smallpox. Smallpox killed more people in the 20th century than AIDS and Spanish flu put together. And this is counterintuitive because in 1975, smallpox was eradicated from the world. So major pandemics come along every about three a century. But as we globalize as every point on earth is no more than 12 hours away from any other point, the pattern of our pandemics is going to change. We might consider Western Nile virus, for instance. Uh, the story of Western Nile virus is in the book. West, Western Nile virus is not like smallpox. It's not like COVID-19. It's not like polio, but it does cause a little mortality every year in the United States uh, about Two or 3,000 people die from West Nile virus, and thousands of others have neurological complications from the infection. Okay, well, in 1999, 
people driving through the Bronx and Queens were struck by dead birds falling from the sky. This sort of biblical event has been used as prophecies through the, through the generations. But in, in the Bronx, they said, what, what is this? They didn't worry too much about the prophetic aspects of dead birds dropping from the sky. And then in the Bronx Zoo, animals started dying in the Bronx Zoo. Flamingos and eagles just dropping dead. And a local vet looked at them and saw that they had encephalitis, that their brains were being eaten up by an infectious agent. Simultaneously, there was an outbreak in a hospital uh, in Queens of encephalitis in elderly men. The CDC came in and identified the organism after a while as being West Nile virus. So what's special about that? It had never been seen in the Western Hemisphere before, nowhere. This was a virus that lived in Africa, in the rainforest. Uh, there had been some little outbreaks in Europe. But this is the first time that it had ever been seen in the Western Hemisphere. At the end of 10 years, West Nile virus is now found in every country in the Western Hemisphere, North and South America alike. It's everywhere. It kills animals, particularly horses. Horses do badly with West Nile virus. And uh, it affects all kinds of animals, including, including humans. And so this was a subtle global pandemic that nobody got all that upset about but it is it's not entirely insignificant and it's spread around the world without anybody noticing so even with our improved science and awareness and knowledge and that pandemics are occurring at various levels and they come out of the rainforest people have talked about destruction of the rainforest as being a bad thing for a lot of reasons one of them is that if a man goes into the rainforest, an infectious agent will come out. And this isn't something we need to fear for the future. It's something that's been happening since slavery was started in the 17th century. The yellow fever epidemics that swept through the, the nascent United States of America in New York and Philadelphia. This is an infection from the rainforest, yellow fever and had been brought on slave boats, as had the mosquitoes, which quickly made themselves at home on the North American continent. And HIV came from the rainforest. I won't go into the story of that right now, but these things are continually happening in spite of our knowledge, in spite of our increased knowledge. We're going to have more pandemics. Brings up the question of predicting when the next one will occur. I mean, most of these pandemics, zoonotic, they transmit from animals to humans and back again. Trying to find those potential sources is going to be a big question going forward. You know, predicting the future is impossible. Uh, it doesn't stop people trying, but it, it's exceptionally difficult. I thought, for instance, that the next pandemic would come out of the rainforest. Well, it didn't. It came out of China. The similarity, there's something else about the rainforest, and that's the bushmeat practice. Bushmeat is big business. Bushmeat is anything you can find to eat. It could be a, a monkey, it could be a baboon, it could be a lemur, it could be a reptile, a snake, a turtle. People eat them. And in fact, it's, it's a, million, a billion dollar industry in Africa, the killing and, and selling of bushmeat. As you so rightly say, zoonoses, at least 70% at least of infections 
that occur in man, uh, also infect animals and are transferred between animals. Uh, spillover is the word that, that we use nowadays. Spillover between species. Many, many, many examples of this. The rainforest has more life in it than any other anywhere else on Earth. All living things are infected with viruses. And it brings us back to RNA viruses, the properties of RNA viruses. They evolve at a fantastic rate. Early molecular biologists said that the enzymes that replicated uh, this RNA made a lot of mistakes. But they're not mistakes, it's, it's evolution. You see, it's not in the interest of the virus to kill you. If the virus kills you, it kills itself, doesn't it? So a mutation that spares the life of the host and allows the virus to multiply more is beneficial. So over time, over time, the virus will become less virulent. And having said that you should never make predictions about the future, I'm going to make one now about uh, SARS, COVID-19. Some very brilliant Belgian scientists in 2003 identified a coronavirus in cattle. And they looked at it and they found it was quite similar to one which caused the common cold in humans. And they built a family tree and showed that these two variants of a similar RNA virus went back to 1890. And what happened in 1890? There was a global pandemic which was called the Russian flu, the Russian flu, as opposed to the Spanish flu or the Chinese flu. And the reason it was caused the Russian flu is that it started in the steppes, Uzbekistan, and was brought by train to uh, St. Petersburg and then to England. And it, and it had a lot of, and then from there by boat to America, and it spread around the world. It was a true global pandemic. It was before we had molecular biology, so we couldn't characterize it any better than that. But what these fellows did showed that, so they looked at the Russian flu. It had some similarities with our present epidemic. Namely, it tended to spare children. This is unusual in epidemic diseases because children have a maturing immune system. But COVID-19 doesn't, doesn't seriously, it does infect some children, but unlike other infectious agents, it spares children. Another thing is that men are slightly more at risk of death from infection than women, and that was the Russian flu. It could just as easily have been the Russian coronavirus. So what happened with the Russian coronavirus? Don't predict the future, but with the Russian flu, it came back for two winters in a row, and by the second and third winter, it was less virulent, and then it disappeared except it didn't disappear, it caused the common cold. And this jibes with the tendency of particularly RNA viruses, but all kinds of infectious agents, to become less virulent over time because they evolve and select. You see, uh, if, if a virus gets into you and kills you, it's a misunderstanding between the virus and the host. You know, this needs to be sorted out. And so uh, the virus evolves in a way that selects for less virulent organisms. If you look at DNA viruses, these are the most prolific infectious agents on Earth. Uh, herpes viruses of all kinds. Consider uh, fever blisters or cold sores. These are caught by DNA viruses. Something like 80% of 
Americans are infected with herpes virus one, which causes fever blisters. So it's as if the herpes virus said, look, if you let us live in you, we won't cause you much trouble. You know, we might have to burst out in blisters once in a little while, but I'm sure you will understand. And we will work out this thing and we'll live together and we'll never kill you. <laughs> so, but RNA viruses can't do that because they're, they're too small and they're, they're evolving at a frightening rate. But even they become less virulent over time. For the long-term survival of the virus in general, it can't kill its host. Exactly. So the virulence of this particular virus we're living with now is a sign of its novelty. Virulence equals new. For people reading the book, what would you like them really to take home from standing of the history of plagues and where we are now in terms of our understanding of the agents that cause these plagues? I think I'd like them to, to see how, uh, what a crucial part of our life and our history these infections have been. Not only what we've talked about, but how our genes have been changed and evolved to survive infectious diseases. Uh, we talk about sickle cell disease. Uh, you talk about which, which offers protection against malaria at a cost. And cystic fibrosis has recently been shown to uh, offer a survival benefit against tuberculosis. And when the human genome was sequenced in 2003, all those years ago, it <laughs> seems like a long time ago now, they showed that 8% of your DNA comes from retroviruses that were populated by, and DNA from 50,000 retroviruses, which is many more genes than are needed for all the proteins in your body, which is about 3%. And what is the point of all this? Well, it's like this retrovirus DNA was like an accelerated kind of evolution. It, it's been demonstrated that the human placenta could not have evolved without genetic material from retroviruses. So we are intimately related to viruses. We are descended from bacteria. They're an enormous part of our history. And there's lots of practical applications that can be made understanding these microorganisms. And so what, what I'm really saying is this is an integral part of our lives and our history, and we, we jolly well ought to know a bit more about it than we do. We were just talking with Dr. John Froud, author of the new book, Plagued, Pandemics from the Black Death to COVID-19 and Beyond. Dr. Froud, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. Pleasure is all mine. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.